This is a guardian angel that a lady from our church called Evelyn. Evelyn. Evelyn, sorry. <laughs> knitted. And the Bible verse that has been sewn onto this angel says, God will put his angels in charge of you to protect you wherever you go. Abby also had an angel and it was always hung up on her drip stand next to medications and stuff. For many of us, Christmas is a time of heightened emotion. Christmas present brings with it memories of Christmas past. The first one in a new home, the first one away from home, the first one we shared with a partner, the first one without a parent, the first one with a new child, and for some, the first one without them. I'm Rosie Dawson, and for this Christmas edition of Things Unseen, I've come to the village of High Wincham in Cheshire to join Liz Banks, along with her husband Tim and daughter Debbie, who are facing their first Christmas without Debbie's sister, Abby. Tim and I had been married for quite a considerable amount of time already, and we'd gone through fertility tests just to be certain that there wasn't anything simple medical that would be an easy fix. I'm adopted myself. Adoption had always been something that I would have considered. And after some time, Tim came on board with it as well. So you started the process. Most people, I think, and I know because I'm an adoptive mum myself, when they start the process, they think, well, we'd, we'd like some very young children, babies if we can. You didn't think that. No, I never did, actually. I never really thought we should have little tiny children and I believed that older children should be given a chance. I also thought there was an advantage to children being in school during the day because recognising it would be quite an intense thing, taking children into your home, I thought I could have some respite while they're in school. If you're a birth parent, you don't know what the future is going to hold. But I guess there's even less certainty when you've adopted your children. Did you have fears for the future at that stage? I think we went to a lot of trouble to try and find children who were the right match for us. We'd had details of other children who, for example, had complex medical needs and having no experience whatsoever of hospitals and having always enjoyed good health myself, I hadn't really got any confidence at the idea of having a child with, with complex medical needs. So I think I went into this thinking, if we can take children who are the most matched to what we can cope with, that would make it easier. But... I don't think you can, no, can you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? We met Debbie and Abby in their foster carer's home originally and we had two weeks of getting to know their routines and 
what they were about and what their likes and dislikes were. And then the children came all the way on a five-hour journey to our home. And this was the day before Abby was seven years old. So her first morning with us was waking up on her seventh birthday. Did the girls accept she was their mum and dad straight away? I can't remember when they stopped calling us Liz and Tim and started calling us mum and dad, but it did happen pretty quickly. I I was expecting it to take longer and I I was really blessed to have someone at last calling me mummy. Tell me about Abby as a little girl. What sort of little girl was she? Abby was the sort of person who liked to play cards and board games and scrabble and was very competitive. She wanted to win. And when we walked home from school, she always wanted to be in the front. She got quite a paddy on if she was walking behind me or her sister. Sometimes she would even sit down and protest and refuse to walk. She struggled with dyslexia, actually, for reading and writing. But she covered it up well and she had a brilliant memory. Tell me about the first Christmas with your children. Oh, that was magic, of course. Uh, After such a long wait of 13 years, the first Christmas that we had, we had a real tree and we put up the decorations together. My mum made both of Debbie and Abby uh, a stocking for us to put up. And so those went up on the hanging on the fireplace every year after that we had a lovely a lovely time spending it with dad's side of the family with all my cousins and yeah, this is what this picture is here yeah so, again wearing the same outfit so <laughs> as each other yeah yeah so my brothers and my sister i've got all boys and so you can see here they're sat right in the middle of this rabble of boys <laughs> of uh, varying ages and sizes but they took them to their heart straight away really yeah to the evening service late at night for the carols and so the girls both went off for a sleep in the afternoon and they did that for years. They just went to bed knowing they were going to have a late night and I think Abby on one occasion lay across our laps and slept for part of the service when she was little but eventually she got to coping with the whole service and we did love going together to the midnight service. about nativity plays? Was she ever Mary in the nativity play? Actually, she was an angel in the nativity play in the first year, and that was the last year of being in the infants. So she she was standing dressed in a, a ballet leotard and pink tights and ballet shoes, and that yeah, that was a real a real heart softener. <laughs> oh look! Oh no! Come on! <laughs> But that's you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do remember getting the um, Puppet Theatre Company um, little stage. Um, 
And I think that Abby must have written what time the starting time of the show is. Because it says 12.37. (laughs) So that's a very precise number. That's a very Abby thing to do. Yeah. So that's her just gone up to high school. When Abby was 12, she had been very, very tired. She'd fainted in school. Come Christmas that year, when she was 12, we took her to the doctor, who was not overly concerned, and we thought she was just overdoing things. But by February, we'd gone on a walk in the snow, on a long, long-distance walk, and she really struggled. And that was quite unusual for her. Shortly after that, I was sent for because... She had been in with Tim to have a blood test and the blood test revealed that she she had contracted leukaemia. She had acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, which was confirmed at Alderhay Children's Hospital. And they came to explain that she would need a bone marrow transplant. So after testing Debbie, she was not a match. They asked if they were allowed to contact the siblings that Debbie and Abby have that who are adopted into a different family. And I was certain that Jake would be a match. And he was. And so at eight years old, he agreed to give his bone marrow to try to save his big sister. And so On Abby's 13th birthday, she was given Jake's bone marrow cells. And from there on, things worked well for her. So she then had about seven years of of relatively good health. What sort of young woman was she developing into? What were her passions and her interests? She went to help run holiday camps. And uh, she was the sort of person who was invited to be on school council and she actually represented the school in Cheshire to talk about how they could improve services in in the area for young people. She was passionate about fair trade and, and she worked very hard through high school and then got herself into college where she was on track to become an art therapist. She wanted to get the qualifications she needed to go to university. And she actually did a lot of artwork around the theme of cancer, exploring what she'd been through in a way that she didn't really express verbally. So it was an insight into what she felt about her life journey through the cancer treatment that she'd had and that world that we'd been thrown into that we didn't see coming. Have you got a favourite picture of you and her? Um, oh, I do. It was after we got Paulie the first time and we'd been to London for the model photo shoot, which was Abby's Wish. And there's a picture where it's both of us standing back to back, wearing our prom dresses, smiling. It was a during her... Second year at university in Derby, that 
we had the incredibly awful news that the cancer had relapsed and that was just approaching Christmas, so in December 2016. As soon as that Christmas was over, Abby began chemotherapy. She spent much of the next year in hospital. She was given numerous blood transfusions and a stem cell transplant from an anonymous German donor. She continued to submit and pass her university assignments while struggling with isolation and depression. Her hospital room became the family's second home. So that's them together in Abby's room at the Christmas. Oh, that's it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yes, that's the angel on the drip stand. The knitted angel. The knitted angel, yeah, it was always there. And it's also a little reminder of home, because when you're stuck in a hospital, I think you need Mm. some, some comfort from home. How did you approach last Christmas? How how did you get through it? It was really hard to know what was best because the hospital was pushing to have her as an inpatient and she was adamant she didn't want to be in hospital at Christmas. And we were all determined to have some time together. Tim took her to the carol service at church I took her to the Christie Carol service at the cathedral, which was lovely. So we, there were some precious moments in there. On Christmas Day, Abby's grandfather Tom enjoyed a dinner with us. And then after dinner, he was sitting, relaxing and falling asleep. And he was leaning towards Abby, who he was sat next to. And her face was eyes wide and, don't let him lean on me, don't let him fall on me, because all of her body hurt. And she didn't want someone leaning against her with their weight. So we kept thinking, shall we wake him up? But he just was snoring and leaning into her. And we thought it was funny, but... Probably wasn't really. Not for Abby, it wasn't funny. She was quite alarmed by this. So we got through Christmas, but she needed the specialist care in the hospital and the intravenous antibiotics, which, of course, she couldn't have at home. So she agreed to be readmitted. Sunday night. I stayed all night with her because she was so unwell. In the morning she said to me, you know mum, while I was being treated last night, she said there was angels in the room around me and looking down on me. They were quite faint but I could see them clearly and I was really pleased for her that she'd had that vision of angels that gave her comfort at that time and it obviously comforted me as well to think that angels had been around her bed while she was at her most what I thought her most poorly. You were comforted by that had angels registered much for you in the past angels are a part of the Christmas story but what have you made of angels up to now? My understanding of angels from how I understand the Bible's description of them is they usually come as messengers. They come when you're frightened and tell you not to be afraid. 
and I think they watch over people and keep them safe. And that vision that she had seems to have contributed to her decision that she didn't want to have any more treatment. That's right. A couple of days later, I had a phone call from the nurses who asked me to come in straight away to the hospital. And I was having a chilled morning at home, (laughs) unbelievably. And I could tell from the urgency in her voice that it was serious. So I jumped in the car and headed over to the hospital where I learned that Abby was refusing to have any more antibiotics. She refused to take any medication. And I realised that she had reached the end of where she wanted to be with treatment. And she said to me, I'm really sorry, Mum, but I want to come home and I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. And how did you feel when she said all that? I was devastated. I knew that she'd put up the bravest of fights. It'd been a whole year of a nightmare for her and that if she couldn't take any more, then that was that. You weren't going to try and persuade her otherwise? No. She said, I thought you might be angry. And I said, how could I be angry with you? You've been so, so brave. And she said, it's just that when the angels were here on Sunday night, I was disappointed when they didn't take me with them. And that was a shock, but it made sense. And from there on, we worked really hard to get her home, to make sure she was where she wanted to be at the end of her life. Abby was in her own bed and I asked her the question, do you want to see anyone to say goodbye to them? And her response was, everyone. I sent out messages to people through WhatsApp and Facebook and and a friend thought it would be nice to contact Becky Higg, who's a local singer and songwriter, because she knew that Abby has always loved Becky's songs. So this friend made contact with Becky and told her that Abby was at the end of her life and could she come and sing one of her songs for her. Oh, Abby, when the cold came through To ask me would I come and sit and sing with you I wanted to rush over right away What an honour to be invited into such a sacred space What an honour to be invited into your last day One of our friends arrived at the house to say goodbye to Abby and she looked at the layout of the house and realised that it matched perfectly an image that she'd had in her mind, which she described as a vision while she was praying. And she'd seen an angel sitting on top of the roof. And when she turned up at the house, she realised this massive angel that she'd seen would have been sitting 
exactly over where Abby was lying with everyone there visiting them round the bed. So this part of the roof of the house was exactly where Abby was. So she went home. She didn't tell us this story till later. She went home and she drew this picture to send to us so that we could see and understand what she'd seen in her dream. That, again, was a comfort that the angels that Abby had seen in her, her vision around her hospital bed turn out to potentially have been around our house at the time when we were saying our goodbyes to her. Eventually there was 30 plus people in the house. Um, some were taking over in the kitchen, making hot drinks for people. Abby was getting progressively more poorly, so the people that came earlier saw her in a different state to the ones that came later. She lost the use of speech and she couldn't swallow and so people sat around her. Some were crying and it was sad but it was lovely that people did have that time with her. Were you okay to share those last moments with your daughter with other people? How did you feel? I'd have happily had her to myself or just us, the close family, Tim and Debbie. It was her last request. How could I refuse? Of course, everyone was welcome. And it meant something to me that they took the trouble to drop what they were doing and race over here. Some planning to come the next day. But those people, unfortunately, didn't get to see her alive as she didn't make it through that first night with us at home. And Becky didn't actually get here in time to sing to her? No, she didn't. And it it touched her heart that she'd missed that opportunity. So she then wrote this amazing song all about how she felt about that, about missing having that opportunity to sing to Abby in her final hours of her life. Oh, Abby, when the call came through To say I was too late to come and sit and sing with you It kind of cracked my heart open wide It talks about how her last day here with us is the first day somewhere better and that she doesn't need the comfort of the songs that anybody writes anymore because she is ultimately where there's no more suffering and no more tears. Oh, but you don't need my songs anymore Nor any other comfort this old world has to offer The Father now is singing over you All pain and sickness is undone well done, good and faithful one And you're singing all your praises back to him Cos your last day Was your first day in the presence of your king How are you going to mark this Christmas? The loss of Abby affects everything We couldn't possibly put out the four stockings hanging on the, the fireplace we certainly don't want to hang three up at this point. We're just doing things really quietly. We've had 
one candle lit in the front with a picture of Abby to remind us. Not that we need reminding, but just that it's nice to have that image of her around us. And I've just decided to buy different things, uh, very low-key. It's just too painful to have everything the same as it was without her here. Nothing's the same as it was. But you're Christian and somehow you're having to hang on to the message of hope in the pain that you're feeling. That's right. It is painful and going to Christmas carol services and singing songs of praise and remembering that Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus and the angels bringing the message of hope. That all is still there. Of course it's still there. But it it doesn't take away the pain of the loss. So I just cling on to the hope that I have that the angels brought with them in the first Christmas. decided we weren't going to have a Christmas tree this year. Yeah. I went out to get this tree here, which is a memory tree. And the fact that it's a memory tree means that you need something on it to remember Abby. So I also bought a very special, special ornament for it, which you can open now, Debbie, if you want to. Yeah. Oh. It's beautiful. Oh, so this is a, a large bauble. Yeah, very. Um, with a lovely picture of Abby. Um, so this is the picture uh, of Abby that was on her order of service, and it's got a name and also. Her, her year of birth and the year she passed away this year, www.thingsunseen.co.uk Dot co.uk